following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We take for granted the, sometimes the little things in life. Right? Who, who puts you to bed at night? Do you, do you make yourself go to sleep? Who wakes you up in the morning? Do, do you make yourself wake up? Right? Who, who does that for you? The Lord. Right? So each, each night and each day is like a death and a resurrection. Do you guys see that? Each morning when you wake up, we should be thanking God for, for this fresh new day that you've given us. Lord, you've brought us back from wherever we were. Right? Who knows where we go when we sleep? Obviously, our, our body's in the bed. You know, and that's something that um, the, the the Jewish peoples have. They they have prayers that they recite at at evening when they go to bed, and at morning when they wake up, they give thanks to the Lord. You know, Lord, receive my spirit this evening. And then in the morning, Lord, thank you for restoring my soul. Right, it's so powerful. Um, and and something else, you know that. Uh, that that just stands out to me is that um, even even this day, this day that the Lord has given us, um, Sunday. Here, let me let me move this. So um, in, in Spanish, it's called Domingo, right? So uh, do you guys know what Domini means in in Latin? Lord. Lord, right? So Domingo is the day of the Lord. So this is a representation of the day of the Lord, right? What's going to happen on the day of the Lord? We're all going to be with him, raised up together in the clouds, right? Look what we're doing today. Look what we've done. Where have we come? We've come together. So this this day, Domingo, Sunday, this day that the Lord has given us, is a day for us to come together. This is a representation of of what it's going to be like when we're raised up in the clouds, right? This music that, that we sing. Are, are you guys impacted by the music as much as I am, this, this corporate worship? Just being, being in praise together, right? Our, our voices, this praise, just raises up to the Lord, and it's just so amazing to me. And, you know, it's, it's those things right there that, that make it well with my soul, right? So... Um, we're going to be reading from uh, Luke 4, 38 through 44. So while you guys are, are turning there, I'm just going to, uh, to, to get it set up for you. So um, we're going to pick up from where we were a couple weeks ago. And in the events that preceded this passage, um, Jesus rebuked an unclean spirit in the synagogue. And after witnessing this, the, the people in the synagogue were, were amazed at his word, at, that it commanded such authority, and that it had power. And, and Rob did an amazing job on this text, and the three application points, if you didn't listen to it, were, were very impactful for me, and, um, and I got to share them with him, and how it impacted me, and they were walking authority, the opposition of the enemy, and the kingdom of darkness will fall. 
And th- there's some overlap between the, that passage and, and the passage that I'm going to be talking about this morning. And so in an effort to avoid repeating much of what he said, um, I'm, I'm not going to be redundant on that. So if there's points that come up that I may not cover, that you may think, well, why didn't he talk about that? I would, I would suggest that you go onto the website and go back to his sermon a couple weeks ago and give it a listen if you haven't, and it may, it may tie some of those pieces together. Um, and, and on top of that, on that point, real quick, um, I know that I'm, I'm a youth um, spiritually and physically to, to some of you out here, so uh, I always find joy in hearing how the Lord's spoken to you in the message, and if there's things that the Lord has taught in you throughout your life, I would... I would love for you to share that with me um, during the week or after the after the um, the message. If there's uh, something that maybe I didn't cover and something that was impactful to you, for you, I'd love to hear that. So um, we're going to go into the text this morning, and then we'll pray. So Luke four, thirty-eight through forty-four. And this is from the ESV. It says, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, he being Jesus, stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick and with various diseases had brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this word that you've given us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the, for the men who, who wrote these words and who spoke these words. Lord, that we have them today. Lord, I just pray that these words that were given to us by the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts this morning. And Father, we thank you for, for all the good and precious gifts that you've given us um, yourself, Lord. And Lord, as we, as we dive into your text and dive into your word, Lord, I just pray that, um, that the Spirit would teach us and guide us and that we would, uh, we would share with one another in the joy of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so... I'm going to start out with a big word. So Luke and some of the other gospel authors use different techniques in their writing. And some of these techniques were, were really old. They, they, they were around way before them with the, with the prophets. And uh, some of them were, were brought into this, uh, this recent writing, um, as the Bible was when it was, when it was written, these texts and letters. <clears throat> and, and ultimately, they were guided by the Holy Spirit in this, as were all those who came before them. And one of the techniques is called juxtaposition. Have you guys heard of that before, juxtaposition? So it, it's an act or an instance of placing two elements close together or side by side. 
This is done often in order to compare or contrast the two or show the similarities and differences between them. Now, this is extremely extremely relevant to um, us as believers in Jesus Christ because in his person is both God and man residing together in one person. The interconnection of this is a mystery and a miracle that only God can fathom. Yet as believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we are in a constant struggle with our flesh. Our old self in the flesh is juxtaposed to our new self in his spirit. In the same way, we're creatures that desire intimate relationships with others, but also require times of solitude with the Lord. This is demonstrated by Jesus' example in this current passage. In this life, as we follow Jesus' example, we grow in our faith. And even though we may not try, we sometimes act in a manner that is counter to God's will. So we do what we don't want to do, or we do what we know we shouldn't be doing. Have you ever heard the phrase, they're not acting like themselves today? Has anybody ever noticed that in your own life? Like, man, I'm just not acting the way I feel like I should be. Can the same thing be said about God? Can he act against his character? No, that's part of the goodness of God. Right? He always acts according to his character, according to his goodness, his faithfulness, his justice. Absolutely. And this is, what, this is something um, I've been meditating on, on the person of Jesus Christ. And that is, I'm telling you, it, it'll, it'll really dive you, take you, you know, and help you um, understand what it is, the, the faith that you have. If you ever want to be challenged in your faith, Think about the person of Jesus Christ and, and really, really discern who he is to you. So this, this came to me. We cannot separate who God is from what he does. He is who he is because he does what he does. And he does what he does because he is who he is. We can't separate that. I'm going to read from Exodus Uh, chapter 3, 9 through 14, and this is where God reveals himself and what he's going to do through Moses. So he says, "And, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people. Again, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Not if, but when. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. He is because he's going to do. Right? I w- you will do this. This will happen. When this happens, you will do this. 
because I am God and I'm making it happen. So God chose to reveal himself to his people in various forms and at different times. And this has culminated in the person of Jesus Christ as testified to by his uh, disciples and in whom God will be glorified when he returns to gather the people of every nation and separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Again, he's going to gather all people and separate them. And his disciples, from whom we have the, the New Testament writings, they did not testify on their own, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. With this in mind, is it's, it's important that we seek him daily in his word and by his spirit. So there's two parallel passages that go along with uh, with this, um, the passage we just read this morning, and that's in Matthew 8, 14 through 17, and Mark 1, 29 through 39. And I'm going to be pulling from those two texts this morning to kind of give us some insight and context into our current passage. So let's go ahead, and uh, I, the, the, the passage is broken up naturally into to three sections, so we're going we're gonna to look at each of these three sections and go through some of the different points that are drawn out. So the first, the first part is Luke 4, 38 and 39, and it says, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, even though Luke was not present here, because he, he wrote this from the eyewitness accounts from, from those who, who gave him, um, he was a doctor. And as a doctor, he probably would have had a good understanding of her condition based on the eyewitness accounts. And so this was as it was explained to him. So the high fever meant something. Uh, we're not told the the status of her condition, right? Why she had the fever. So looking at it, we can't put it on any one thing. It could have been, um, it could have been a cold, right? It could have been a, maybe a bad flu, or it could have been something more serious, right? A, a serious infection. We, we, we just don't know that. Um, when, when we look at the text, it says that they appealed to him, him being Jesus on her behalf. So, um, so I was thinking about it, like, who, who is the they that they're referring to in verse 38. Well, obviously, they're, they're in Peter's house, right? Simon Peter. So he was probably one of them. But who are the other ones? We, 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 don't, we don't know exactly, right? It doesn't say. But he was just in the synagogue, correct? And, and he just cast out the demon. And they were, they were amazed. So I'm assuming that they were probably some of them that came with him. So they had already witnessed this miraculous um, this miracle that happened in the synagogue. So immediately, we we can say that that they had understanding of his authority over sickness and over demons, and so they they petitioned him. And well, let's go ahead and look at Matthew eight fourteen and fifteen. Um, this is, we're going to look at the, the parallel passages for this. So in Matthew 8, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. So we get a little extra detail in there. 
So let's look at the, the third of this, the, the Mark 1, 30 through 31 in this passage. It says, now, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. So from the three passages, we, we can kind of get a fuller sense of this picture as Jesus who stood over Peter's mother-in-law and having rebuked the fever, he touched her by the hand and he lifted her up. So real quick, I want to pull out four um, important aspects of this healing that, that I saw. First was that the fever left her immediately. Do you guys hear that? In, in all the accounts, it left her immediately. Second, there was no recovery time after the healing. Right? It says that immediately she got up and began to serve them or serve him. And the third was after the healing was she served. So there was an immediate healing. There was no recovery time. And immediately she began to serve them. And this happened almost simultaneously. And the fourth one was the, as I read through the, the three accounts, was the intimacy with which Jesus healed her. He put his hand on her and he lifted her up. He was not afraid to touch her even though she was sick. And Jesus passed this authority, this healing authority, on to his disciples and, and as, he, as he sent out the 70. And, and even with Peter and Paul, we see some of these miraculous healings. So this authority to heal, the immediacy of healing, and the attitude change from the healing is also seen in some of their miracles. And one that stood out to me was when Peter healed the beggar who was uh, lame from birth in Acts 3, 7, and 8. So in, in this passage, we, we read that, and he, being Peter, took him, the, the beggar, by the hand, or by the right hand, and raised him up. And, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So we, we see two distinct things that happened here, right? There was very, a similar situation where there was, you know, the, the touching by the hand, the lifting up. And we see Peter's mother-in-law who immediately began to serve them. But what do we see from the beggar? We see that he was leaping and jumping with praise. So what, is, what does that speak to, to us? Right? I love how each one of us has a unique expression of worship, especially after receiving God's healing touch, right? the ultimate healing touch of salvation. So this, this healing touch that we experience in our own lives, and it could be physical healing, but it could also be the spiritual healing that we get through Christ, it causes us not to just sit there, right? What, is it, what does it cause us to do? It causes us to worship the Lord in the unique way that he's designed us. Each of us are designed differently. We're, we're, called, we're each called members of the body of Christ, right? Each member has its own function and its own purpose. And so we each um, have the amazing ability, the only ability that's unique to us, right? We're the only one with this unique ability that we can do what God's called us to do in Christ. 
So um, let's go on to the, the second part of the passage. This is Luke 4, 40 through 41. It says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And there's a couple really important pieces in here. One of them I'm going to kind of draw out because it really impacted me. Um, first, the result of Jesus' increasing popularity in that area, in, in the region, was that all those with any sick were brought to him. Do you guys hear that? Not just some, but all those with any who were sick were brought to him. Now, sometimes we may wonder, even in our own lives, right? Did, do they or do we want the healing? Or did they or do we want to know the healer? Again, we see the intimacy in which Jesus healed all through the way he laid his hands on every one of them. You guys catch that? He laid his hands on every one of them. This was intimate. It also speaks to me. It says that there's not one disease, sickness, or ailment that Jesus does not have authority over. Also, it says that demons came out of many and cried out, You are the Son of God. And they knew he was the Christ. So we read that many had demons come out, not all of them. Do you guys catch that? Not Demons didn't come out of everybody who was sick, but, um, but many. So we can't say that the sickness was attributed to the demons. Do you guys, you guys see that? So not, not all sickness can be attributed to, to demons. And I know that sometimes there's some confusion there, but in, in the text it makes that clear. So I'm going to go into um, two parts of this. It says they cried out, you are the son of God, and then they knew he was the Christ. So I'm going to talk about these two specific um, names that were attributed to him. So in, in a pocket lexicon to the Greek New Testament, um, the authors make a distinction between Sons of God, lowercase s, and the Son of God, capital S. The phrase sons of God, lowercase s, is seen in an ordinary sense. That's referring to angels and demons. It can also refer to all mankind. And in some cases, it refers to the saints, right? We can be called son, sons of God. But in the unique sense, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is the Son, capital S, of God, and is specially united with God. And, and this one was really interesting. I don't, I don't know how much you guys have, have dug into this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw out some of this for you, so hopefully this is, this is good. Um, they knew that he was the Christ. So in Greek, Christ is Christos. Right, and when you translate back to the Hebrew, it, it's Messiah or Messiah. I probably didn't say that right. Um, this is God's representative on earth by whom his will is perfectly performed. Again, God's representative on earth by whom his will 
is perfectly performed. And that's from the the pocket lexicon to the to the Greek New Testament. So Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. You guys hear that? The anointed one. And this is interesting. Because in in the Old Testament, we read that there were three types of people that were anointed in Israel. There were the priests, the prophets, and the kings. And when either one of those three was anointed in Israel, they could be thought of as a Messiah. They They were a Messiah. Not the Messiah, but a Messiah, just like in an ordinary sense, right? Now... Israel, through the, um, through the prophets, was promised a single individual, the Messiah, who would be consecrated or anointed by God as all three. The Hebrew name given to Jesus, Yeshua, means Jesus is salvation. And as the Christ, he's also the anointed one of God. So I'm going to go into a little bit further detail and examine more closely Jesus as the prophet, the high priest, and the king of kings. So um, this is best seen in Revelation 1, 4 through 5. says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from you who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of of kings on earth. You guys hear that? The, the faithful witness, prophet, the firstborn of the dead, priest, and the ruler of the kings of earth. So the, the prophets were the mouthpiece of God, his faithful witness, speaking what they had heard from him. In Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, the Lord told, told, told Moses, sorry, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jesus is the prophet, the very word of God, and speaks according to God's authority. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, it opens like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The priest as a mediator between God and man, um, the high priest, would enter the holy place and offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people on the Day of Atonement. In Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, we see... Um, the author says, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Again, that firstborn from the dead. Now, this next part is where um, there's a stumbling block for, for the Jews. So they, they accepted Jesus as a, as a prophet, and some accepted him as a priest. But the stumbling block is accepting him as the king. 
they wanted all three right now. They wanted a, a military messiah, somebody who was going to come and, and, and take them from the oppression of the Roman Empire, who was going to, to free them from that. So kings were established for Israel by God for peace, prosperity, and welfare of the nation. The prototypical king being uh, King David, who was considered a man after God's own heart. However, we have a greater king than David. And I, I love this passage. I, I love reading in Revelations. This is Revelations 11. I'm sorry, Revelations 19, 11 through 16. It says, Then I saw heaven open. This is John speaking. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is our hope in the soon coming King, the anointed one of God. Amen. So in the, in the parallel passage, we, we also read this. This is Matthew eight sixteen through 17. We read that um, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. So um, the, the pocket lexicon um, also attributes, and we see this previously, that there was another title used by Jesus himself, which was called the Son of Man, capital S, the Son of Man. And it's representing himself as the whole human race and one man who has to suffer but will be glorified. In 1 Peter 2, 24-25, we read, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So this is the... Um, we're we're going to go to the last part of the, the passage this morning, and that's Luke 4, 42 through 44. It says, and, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So the next morning... He departed to a desolate place. He left those who he was living with in close, intimate relationship. He was living with them. Probably, they probably slept in the same room. And he left them to be in solitude, to go to a desolate place, even for a short time. In Mark one thirty-five, we see that 
it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus is modeling this for us. He knew that real intimacy came in solitude with the Father. And he modeled this for us. So as I was doing research on this, I found, um, I found somebody who, who drew this out, and I, I'd like to share this with you. So it, it spoke about six reasons Jesus chose solitude. And not just for himself, but solitude for others as well. So these are the, these are the six times that, that were presented. And um, there's some notes that go along with these. If you go on the website and check the notes out, you'll be able to go and see this. But for the sake of time, I'm going to uh, leave those out right now. So one is to prepare for a major task. The second is to recharge after hard work. Third is to work through grief. Fourth, before making an important decision. Fifth, in a time of distress. And last, to focus on prayer. So for me, um, I'm going to talk to you guys about running for a minute. And I could honestly sit up here and talk about running for <laughs> as long as you would listen. Um, yeah, I know Matt's good. Um, I've been running. Well, I'll just tell you, my, my mom said that I skipped the walking phase. She said I went from crawling to running. So um, when I was when I was younger, when I would get upset at, you know, I lived in a small house with two brothers and a sister. So when I would get upset, I would just throw on shoes and I'd just go run. And I mean, I was in middle school and I was probably, I would just go out and run six or seven miles just to kind of get out and um Get, get that time, you know, for, for me, right? The, the me time. And the, the Lord has always blessed me with that gift, but it took me a long time to realize that. Uh, in, in high school, I, I played sports year-round. I would do cross-country in the fall. I would do soccer in the spring, and then I would do, um, or the winter, soccer in the winter, and then I would do track in the spring. So I was, I was running all year. And then at one point, I was also doing um, club soccer, rec soccer, um, competitive soccer, anything I could get in. Like, that's what I was doing. And the the other team would have to substitute three people in on me throughout the game because I would just run up and down the field. I would, you know, and they would have to keep bringing people in because it just wear them out. And, and even talking about it, you know, I, I feel the sense of pride inside of me about this. I feel it kind of rising up because because that's, I mean... It's there, right? I'm always, always fighting the, the pride in this. Um, I went, I went and played soccer at Eckerd College. I got a scholarship there, and um, and then I injured myself. I injured my ankle really bad, put me out for a year and a half, and I was not able to um, to play for a long time. And then, you know, eventually I, I rehabbed it and was able to get back into it. And then I started getting into endurance running and endurance sports. So I, I got into triathlons at half, half Ironman. And then just this past year in January, I did a, a very, very long distance run. Um, it was a hundred mile run. And in, in preparation for that run, I was, I was doing 60, 70 mile 
weeks running. And so if you figure, you know, on the on the high end, a mile takes about 10 minutes. That's 600 to 700 minutes of running <laughs> a week. And what's awesome about it is that in the last two or three years, the Lord opened my eyes to this because I would be running and he said, why don't you just pray? Why don't you just spend time with me while you run? And I'm like, man, that's that's pretty cool. I'll try this out. So so I did. Right. I would go out and I would run. And as I would run, I would I would think about my church family. I would pray. And it was just like a light bulb came on. I mean, his spirit would just fill me up. And I would just start praising God. And I don't even care. Like, I'm running. I'd be running down the sidewalk. And I'm raising my hands, <laughs> you know, just singing to the Lord and just praying. And I don't care who sees, right? I, I mean, this is time with me and God, right? This is my desolate place. Does that make sense? Like, and he, and he showed me that, right? I didn't, I wasn't trying to find it necessarily. But but he's the one who showed that to me. Um, And... And I'm, I'm thankful, you know, for, you know, to my, to my parents, to my mom and dad who, you know, kind of, they, they saw that gift in my life. And so they, you know, they pushed me in that direction. Speaking of which, next Sunday's Mother's Day. That's just a reminder for, for everybody out there. Um, but I just wanted, I just wanted to share that with you guys. And, and it's really been a, it's really been a blessing to me because that pride that I've, that I've always had in my, my physical ability, the Lord's taught me how to like, squash that and just give it give it to him and so that I can glorify him in every gift that that he's given me so um, back to the text so um, we see that the people sought him and came to him this him being Jesus so in Mark 1 36 and 37 we read that Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him they exclaimed Everyone is looking for you. So not only did they did they go out and look for him, they found him in the desolate places. Do you guys hear that? They they searched for him and found him in the desolate places. It's almost like they knew where to look for him, like he goes there all the time. And also in the the Mark passage, we see that there's an urgency in finding him do you guys see that there was an urgency everybody's looking for you and they would have kept him from leaving and it's interesting the they they wanted him to stay there the word kept in verse 42 has the idea of holding fast or holding something back like taking possession of something Um, another way of thinking of it is restraining something like you're tying a ship to the dock right that's what they wanted to do with jesus they wanted to restrain him but he could not be restrained right he said i I must go to other towns and preach the good news and they marveled at his authority and his miracles and it says that he jesus says that he was sent for this purpose so in, in Luke 19, we see an encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Upon Zacchaeus realizing who Jesus is and receiving him joyfully into his house, we read this in verse 8, Luke 19. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus says, To speak the good news, for this is the purpose that I was sent. And it says it right there in verse 10. He came to seek and to save the lost. So I'm going to go into um, three application points for you guys this morning. The first application point, and I think it's fairly obvious, is to find a place of solitude. Right? Find your desolate place. Jesus often withdrew to a solitary place as an example to us. And we should seek him in the solitary place. So if you have a place in your life where you go to and you find him and he ministers to you, you know where he is, right? Go there often. Find intimacy with the Father. So it's a place to be free from the distractions of this world. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it it reads, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So where is your solitary place to be intimate with the Lord? Really, it, you see the juxtaposition in that? Right? We don't often think of solitary places as places to be intimate, do we? But I, I read somewhere it says, time spent in solitude with God is not time spent alone. And, and here's another interesting point. Our intimate relationships with others will thrive as we draw closer to him. As we draw closer to Jesus, he will impact us in those intimate relationships that we have. So the second application point, sorry. Move this away. Um, Put your relationship with God first. So our, our intimacy with God should make all other relationships seem as hate. And that's, that's hard. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So if your heart is divided, are you seeking him with all your heart? And that, again, this, this is a tough, tough teaching. Are there any relationships in your life that are keeping you out of close, intimate relationship with God. Again, are there any relationships in your life that are keeping you out of a close, intimate relationship with God? And the third application point. Love God. I'm sorry, love others because God loves you. Again, love others because God loves you. A person that receives the healing touch of Jesus, that is the true healing of salvation, will honor him with their lives. Not may honor him, they will honor him with their lives. Not out of obligation, but out of love. This is the same love that caused God to send his only begotten son to take the sins of us all upon himself and offer forgiveness to all who would believe. So just like the healing of Peter's mother-in-law and the beggar who was lame from birth, 
the effect of true healing results in a heart of worship and a life of love. Do you believe this morning? If so, love God and love others. If not, the gift of God is eternal life and is available to you if you would believe and trust him as Lord and Savior. I'm going to um I'm going to read this passage to you guys. This is um this is one of Jimbo's favorite passages and I want to I want to read it to you. Um and then the the worship team can can come up as I'm reading. This is 1 Corinthians 4 17 through I'm sorry 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us, raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more, people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.